Uh, let's pray in the spirit of worship. Father, we do thank you for this day. Oh, what a blessing it was to just worship you in spirit and in truth and to lift up your name. And now, Father, I ask that you will use me to bring forth your word and that you will prepare our hearts to hear your word and to receive it and to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow. Awesome. Thank you, worship team. Awesome. It's amazing. Well, I want to say good morning again to everyone. Good morning, everyone. You know, we've uh, you've been hanging out with us. We've been doing an awesome series on life in the kingdom for the last eight weeks. And for all intents and purposes, I'm closing it out on the topic of praying for one another. So if you have your Bibles, turn to um, the book of James, the fifth chapter. I'm going to read the 16th verse, maybe through the, well, 16 and 17. That'll be our text for the day. And then I want you to also turn your Bibles after that to 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, uh, verses 16 through 17 as well. So the first one is James 5, 16 through 17. Here's what it says. Therefore, confess your sins one to confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for 3 years and 6 months it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gained rain, and the earth was full of it. Also turn to First uh, Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, verse 16 through 17. It's one of my favorite passages. It's really quick. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. As I said, we've been working on this topic and this, I, I actually think it's been a prophetic topic to begin the first eight weeks of the year. I recall Emmanuel ending the year talking about rising above the crowd. Then I started the year talking about the intimacy with God. And then our show came and talked about the hand of God. And then the Lord spoke and gave Francis this title about kingdom living, life in the kingdom. And it became the One Another series. Emmanuel started off with love one another. And then we talked about forgive one another. Do not speak against one another. Encourage one another. Be kind to one another. Serve one another. Be subject to one another. And then last week, Eric talked about teach and admonish one another. And so now I'm closing this series with pray for one another, with the exception of Francis coming next week to do a part two of forgive one another. So it's like a bonus coverage there. But for all intents and purposes, I'm closing this series out, and it's been a very fruitful series in my own life personally. But I had a lot of problem with this subject, praying for one another. So much so that I bothered Francis about it. 
And the reason that I had a problem with it was because I've been here almost two decades now, and I know without a doubt that there's so many prayer warriors in this sanctuary today. I've witnessed your prayer lives. I've witnessed you at prayer meetings. What do you say to such a group as this, abundant lifers, who have an awesome prayer life? And so I was incredibly perplexed, and I wish I had the first one, love one another. That would have been easier for me. And so if you know anything about Francis, he is an incredibly busy man. Seven kids, just seven kids. (laughs) But besides being an awesome father and a husband, prolific author, best-selling author, several books, he's been in the ministry for 30 years, God is using him on a worldwide stage. He's doing an awesome job in San Francisco, starting these house churches. And he has a great passion for the kingdom. So I don't really want to bother him. And my man, Arshel, was busy last week on this major project that he's working on. He's my go-to guy. I'm not going to bother Arshel this week. Francis said, if I had any questions, give him a call. So I called Francis. I said, hey, I know you just finished a sermon. I know, do you have time? I only need 15 minutes. I need direction. You don't understand. I got the topic, praying for one another. Oh, yeah, no, I I put you down to teach this message. I know you're doing prayer for one another. And I said, I need a little help, just a little guidance. And I'm going to let you go. I hear his kids in the background. And, you know, when you're talking to him, you're almost like in the 60s moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Keith praying for one another. Tell the congregation this. He's on my speakerphone. I got my notes ready. Tell them to pray for one another. (laughs) I was, pray for one another. You know how Francis goes, really? That was in my heart. Really, Francis? Pray, you want me to tell the congregation? Pray for one another. And it was so funny to me. I just hung up and I immediately thought about Zach and should I call Zach? What time is it in India? Yeah. No offense to Francis, but tell abundant life to pray for one another. And then close, you know, I was, man. So anyway, I said, hey, Holy Spirit, it's you and me. Speak to my heart, Holy Spirit. Give me a word. You know, I don't know what to say. And to be honest with you, the scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 17 will not leave my spirit. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus. I begin to examine my own prayer life. Do I give thanks in all circumstances? Am I always full of joy? The answer was no. I'm like, this is God's will for me. What's missing? Do I pray continually, unceasing? And then I thought about some of the great patriarchs of the past. What did they have in common? These spirit-filled men, these men that were led by Christ. I was still perplexed on what to say. And one of the things that crossed my mind was the book of Isaiah 65, 24. I noticed two things about great prayer warriors. They rested in God and they sought God first, no matter what circumstances hit them, no matter what problems hit them. It was almost like when Jesus was talking to the woman of the well, He said, woman, if you drink of me, you will never be thirsty. I was thinking about that. How many of us are thirsty? How many of us are searching for things outside of God's will? And I thought about true prayer warriors. They really do rest in God. Listen to this scripture in Isaiah 65, 24. 
says, before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. And the most amazing thing about prayer is that these prayer warriors are even flabbergasted that they get to talk to the almighty God. Look what Job said in Job 7, 17 through 18. He said, what is mankind that you think so much of them that you give them so much attention? David said it again in Psalms 8, verse 4. He says, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. So I wrote that down. The first thing I noticed is that they really rest in the Lord. Psalm 68, 19 and 20. Praise be to the Lord our God, who daily bears our burdens. Psalm 62 says, truly, my soul finds rest in God. So prayer warriors, people that are spirit-filled, they find rest in God. They are comfortable with God. And then the second thing I notice is that when anything hard, great or small, tragedy, they see God first. I was reading in Second uh, Chronicles 20, the king Jehoshaphat had a major problem. Three vast armies was coming against him. And I noticed that he didn't call his generals in for a strategy. It says that he was alarmed and that the first thing he did was he inquired in the Lord. I was like, wow. Then he says, Lord, help us. We're going against this vast army. Please help us. I'm just paraphrasing. And then the Lord said this. He says, King Jehoshaphat, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours, but God. I was like, wow. I do pray to God consistently. I do ask God to bless me. But he's not always my first response. I might call my friends first for advice. Look for a counselor. Look for somebody who is wise or someone who's... And these aren't bad things. But a leader, I've learned going through tough times, the ups and downs, I will never seek the advice of men first anymore. I will always fall on my face before God. And so I was still perplexed on what to share with you. Then I ran across this quote, and it helped me. Now, the problem is, I have so many books, I don't even know who wrote this quote. <laughs> I have two names down here, so I'm going to give credit to one of, either one. I don't know. It's either John MacArthur or Jack Hayford. Listen to this closely, though. Here's what one of them said. I wish I knew. I'm thinking it's John MacArthur because I got his name down here twice. He says, prayer is really coming into the presence of God to submit to his will. True prayer brings the mind into immediate contemplation of God's glory. And true prayer should hold it there until the believer's soul is properly impressed. I love that. Then he says, it starts with forgetting self. The first thing you do when you come into God is acknowledge him. And this is the part that struck me. He says, I think most people assume that prayer, and I think they've even been taught this in their former teaching. That is the way for us to cash in. It's our way to activate God to do our will, to fulfill our dreams and our longings and our ambitions. And that's when I said, wait a minute. Maybe I've been too confident, overconfident with abundant lifers in myself. Yes, we've been founded on prayer. The first 30, 34 members 
Yes, this is a praying church. Yes, I know so many prayer warriors. But do we have the spirit of joy in our heart? Do we complain more than give thanksgiving? Do we tear people down more? Do we gossip more? It's about this life in the kingdom. And that's when it hit me. I was like, man, Lord, now I know what to teach on. Let me ask you a quick question to think about. If you had been doing ministry with Jesus, walking with Jesus, following Jesus for three years like the disciples, what, and you only had one question to ask him, what would it be? I asked the Saturday night crowd this, and I had some interesting answers. One said, I would ask him if animals are in heaven. I was like, really, that's what you would ask? Animals going to heaven. That's not a bad question, but that's what you would ask? Okay, and others had other questions, but that one really stuck in my mind. Really? That's what you would ask Jesus? You know, I was thinking more like, how do you turn water into wine? Teach me how to walk on water. I mean, that's how my mind thinks, right? Um, What's that? How is he doing? See, that's not a bad one. Out of all the things the disciples could have asked him, and I like what Arshel said as well when he came up and talked about the Lord's Prayer, all the miracles that they saw, rising people from the dead, turning, feeding uh, 5,000 people with, low, with five fish and a loaf of bread. I mean, just raising people from the dead, that would have been a great, teach me how to do that, Lord. One of the things that they asked him, and the only thing, was teach us how to pray. I was amazed by that request. Obviously, they saw something very powerful in, in Jesus when he went before God early in the morning and spent time with God. They saw a radiance and a joy and a power. So they didn't even want to ask, teach me how to raise people people from the dead or how to walk on what. Teach me how to have communion with God. And so what I want to do is revisit the model prayer in Matthew 6 and 9. Some people call it the Lord's Prayer, and it's a pattern. But out of that came Eight principles that I want us to revisit, going back to our foundation. Here's what it says. It says, our Father, it's Matthew 6, 9, starting in verse 10. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then it says in 14th verse, for if, we, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you also. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. And I thought about it, and I said, man, when I looked at the principles, the first four principles is very telling. Because the first four principles is all about God. And then the second four becomes about you and I and praying for others. But the first first four principles really tell you that when we pray, like the quote I read you, should be about us wanting God to be glorified. Not, Not God being our Santa Claus, but God to be glorified. So the first principle is, our Father in heaven. Man, when you think about when Jesus was teaching them this, this new title that he gave them was transforming. Because the Jews of the past never called God Father. And that word means Abba, Daddy. 
They knew him as the almighty God, the eternal God, the covenant keeping God, the sovereign king of the universe, the victorious God, the God that heals and the God that provides. And all these titles are fitting for our king and our savior. But Jesus radically said, you can now come to him and call him daddy. You can now come to him and call him father. This lets us know that we are his dear children. Look what Jesus said in Galatians 3, 6, uh, 26 to 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you have been baptized into Christ. You have clothed yourself with Christ. I love this part. There's neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All inclusive. A lot of the people that aren't Christians in, in this world say that our faith is not, is too, uh, it's not inclusive enough. And, and, and I just beg to differ. They just don't like that it's one way. They just don't like that we serve one God, that we believe in the Savior, and that there, you can't come to the Father unless you come through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, let me make it plain, plain here today. This prayer, this title, Our Father, is only for those who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Because Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. No man can come to the Father but through me. It's, a, it's good news. The world takes it as bad news. The world takes it as us being, well, it's not politically correct, but you're not called to be politically correct. You're called to be biblically correct. Amen? But this is good news for us. This is radical. Imagine you and I can go before the throne room of, of God in his presence and call him Father, Abba, Daddy. And I remember when I was growing up, uh, I used to hear my grandfather pray, and I did not understand him because he would be screaming to God with these King James versions, Our Father, Thou art great, then, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And I'd just be listening. And I'm like, man, when I think about when my daughter was little, man, she didn't go, my great God, my father, will you take me to the ice cream parlor? And thou art a great God. When we get there, I'm like, she's daddy, can you just take me to the ice cream parlor? It was a simple request. And that's how we should come before our father. We don't, Jesus said, this is what he said in Matthew's uh, 5 chapter. This is how you shouldn't pray. Don't use all these fancy words. Don't pray to impress people. When we have public prayer, please don't get up here and try to impress people because God will call you a hypocrite. You know, so when you pray, it should come from the heart, not to impress people. And I love that. And he, he even said, go, go in secret. You know, don't even let people know what you're saying because your father knows. But what he was saying was don't show off. This is something very very serious. I like the fact that the first principle tells us that we can come to our father and call him daddy, even though he's a sovereign king. But the second principle I want you to re, uh, focus on is hallowed be your name. Man, interesting. Jesus first started out saying that you can come to him as your dad, as little children. It's that intimacy that he wants. But hold it. Don't forget this. His name is holy. Hallowed be their name. That definition means that it is, it is set apart. He's set apart from all of us. His reputation is different. Reverence his name. The Jews understood this very well. It, they understood it so well that in their time, they wouldn't even write his name down. 
because they didn't want to offend the name of God. You know, his love is pure, his motives are pure, and his name represents his character. Now, forgive me if this is a poor illustration, but it's the only one I could think of. <laughs> Saturday crowd, they thought it was okay, and they said, just go ahead and share it with the Sunday fellowship. That reverence of his name, I just want to give you a little social history. In my culture, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer, so I grew up in the 70s, and this is when I was a bad kid, so... Listen to it in that vein. (laughs) In my culture, in my neighborhood, we used to play this game called the dozens. How many of you remember that game? All right. Okay. And let me just explain to you. (laughs) The dozens is a game that you would just, you will have a crowd around you and you and another guy would just talk about each other with no mercy. You know, you, I mean, there was, I would start off talking about your clothes and if I knew anything about your if I saw your dad with a raggedy car, I mean, it was just no holds barred. And you had to have tough skin. But in my culture, the only thing that was holy that was set apart was you couldn't talk about a brother's mom. <laughs> you bring somebody's mom into the game, the crowd, and then and it always happened because the one who was doing, we called it casing back then, the one who was winning the guy that was losing would just lose control and go, yo, mama. And then once he said, yo, mama, I don't really care if you were saved or not. You had, the crowd moved away, and you had to, you had to handle your business. <laughs> and I came home with a couple bloody nose, and my mom was mad. You shouldn't play that game. Boy, I'm like, oh, it's so fun, though. You know? <laughs> but you couldn't talk about our mother. She was set apart. She was... Puritized. Her reputation, don't talk about my mom. She's pure, she's lovely, she takes care of me, she's off limits. I don't know why you could talk about my dad, but you can't talk about my mother, though. And, and here's the point that I'm trying to make. I know it's a poor illustration, but check this out. I noticed that in our generation, not only did it teach me to reverence my mom, but it taught me to reverence all women. Do you remember the days when, men, when a woman would come into the room and men would stand up? Do you remember the days when you were on a bus and the bus was loaded and a woman, a man would stand up and give his seat to a woman? A bus, not a boat, you're right. Uh, you know, it's because women were reverenced in this country at a certain time. Even the lyrics honored women. Today, I'm sorry. They have diluted and disrespected women so much. The lyrics are bad. Women are calling themselves names that they would never do in our day. And that's what happens in our culture, even in the church. If we don't reverence the name of God and we don't display his name to the people who don't know him and we are his children and we don't stop and go, wait a minute, don't use my God's name in vain. When was the last time you heard someone stop someone and say, don't talk about Jesus, don't use Jesus that way, don't use God and then a curse word. This is my God. You know, People that don't even know the true God will kill you over their false God. And yet, we do not honor his name, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. So that was the second principle. Hallowed be thy name. He is holy. Yes, he is so holy that James, that John had a vision in Revelations 4 and 8. He says this, and four living creatures, each of them had six wings, and 
and full of eyes around them within, and day and night they never cease saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Isaiah had the same vision in Isaiah 6 and 9. This is one of our show's favorites. Isaiah basically saw a vision of the glory of God, and the smoke and the Shekinah glory filled the temple. Oh, that was awesome. And each of the angels had six wings, and they proclaimed, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Brothers and sisters, let's not be ashamed to reclaim the honor of our God's name. And then the third principle says, Your kingdom come. We acknowledge his coming kingdom. We pray that Christ will soon return to this earth. Do you know that that is one of the principles that I stopped praying? I haven't prayed about God's kingdom coming to this earth in a long time. I'm so busy praying about our needs, your needs, my needs. Uh, I forget that I want God to come and rescue us from this evil. And when you pray this prayer, your kingdom come, you're actually preparing yourself spiritually for his return. You're looking up. You're not being caught living an a ungodly life. You're ready for his return. A lot of us don't pray that. Let's get back to the principles. Isaiah 9 and 6 says this, and we normally quote the scripture during the Christmas uh, time, but it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. You know, the world thinks that they're going to get away with all this evil that has happened. But it's not going to happen. When our God comes, he's going to be the perfect judge. But there will be perfect peace and perfect love and perfect unity. I can't wait to his return. There's so much evil going on today. When was the last time you prayed that his kingdom would come? I know I need to practice that more. The fourth principle, it says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is exciting because this is what the whole kingdom life a series we were trying to focus on. How is God's kingdom in heaven? How will it be done on earth? The amazing thing is he's using you and I, his children. When I thought about this series, loving one another, forgiving one another, do not speak against one another, encourage one another, I immediately thought about Genesis 1 and 26 when God said in the very beginning, he said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness and let them be fruitful and multiply. Right. And, and that's that's what God wants for us. We are called his children to be fruitful on this earth and to display his glory. I remember I was over my friend Ingrid and Claude's house and there was this beautiful portrait of them. And I stopped and I was like, man. Who painted that picture of you and Claude? It is it's like your exact likeness. And I was looking at it, and forgive me for saying this, it had the wrinkles and everything. Uh, of Claude, not Ingrid. Ingrid doesn't have any. And, and I was like, wow. Look at who. And the first thing I wanted to, who, who's the, who's the, who painted this? Who's the painter? I wanted to know who the author was. Who, who created this masterpiece? Because I'm, all you did was send her a picture of you and Claude. This is, this is your exact likeness. I said, man, I might do that for my wife. Give her a picture and surprise her. And when I was over there, uh, me and Regina was over there, and Ingrid just ruined that. Yeah, Keith liked the picture so much, he was going to give you one. 
Come on, Inger. If it wasn't for the gumbo, I would have just left. But I, I was thinking about it. What if Ingrid had took that picture and hid it under her bed? There was no way she could display the image and the glory of that painting. And Jesus said the same thing about you and I. We are the salt of the earth. If we lose our flavor, what good are we? We are the light of this dark world. We are his representative. We need to bear fruit for God. And that's what this series is about. So when you think about God's will being done on earth, it only is going to get done through his chosen people. Can you imagine the Bible calls us ambassadors? I mean, that means that we represent another kingdom. We're also called a royal priesthood. We are priests. A priest's job is to be a mediator between God and human beings. And to make it plain, a a priest says, look, I'm going to talk to God about people, and then I'm going to talk to people about God. We are a royal priesthood. Can you imagine that? So we're here to bear fruit. And this is what Jesus said in John 15 and 8. He says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Why? Because then the world can see the results of your spirit-filled life. And that is what we are all here to do is to display his glory. And so, in this, and so now you see the first four principles has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with the glory of God. Coming to him in his presence, calling him daddy. Man, respecting his name, asking that his kingdom will come, and then asking that his will be done. And finally, we get to go to our Father and ask for our daily bread. The fifth principle, it says, give us this today our daily bread. Oh, man. I mean, we can ask God when we are in his will, we can ask him for whatever we want, and he will provide it for us. People that have an active prayer life, they understand this. They understand that God is their provider and their protector. But you know what? The daily, do you ask God daily and do you give him thanks knowing that he is the one that provides for you? Because if you do, why are you anxious then? Why don't we have enough joy in our heart? Do we really believe that it's up to us to secure our future? Or do we believe that God will be our sustainer? Then the sixth principle is forgive um, us our debts as we have forgiven others our, their debts. This speaks about forgiveness that we talked about in forgiving one another. And that's really plain. But the forgiving part really is not the easiest thing to do. I mean, Jesus even said, pray for your enemies and uh, forgive those who despitefully use you. Man, that was hard. That's a hard one for all of us. But if we want God to forgive us, We must have a forgiving heart as well. And Francis really hit on this. Uh, I know he's going to come back next week. But he really talked about the king ransom. Can you imagine that parable where the king, where this uh, peasant owed the king, let's just say it was a million, two million dollars, and he could not ever pay it back, and he fell and asked mercy, and then he goes away and someone owes him 20, and he chokes him. That's a great principle, right? That's a great principle for us to remember. What Francis was saying in that message was that because we have eternal salvation and and have been forgiven of our sins, both past, present, and future, how dare us hold anything against anybody who who offends us? I mean, there is no offense greater than going to hell. And yet we've been forgiven by a God. And I used to be the kind of person that wanted to get revenge on people. 
Because I thought that I can handle, I wanted God's mercy, but I wanted to handle the revenge part. And uh, I had to learn when I grew in Christ, wait a minute, I don't even want the wrath of God to fall on anyone. And as I grew in Christ, I'm like, I don't want anyone to go to hell. I don't want anyone to die in their sin and not know Christ. And it began to soften my heart. And when I gave God my daily battles, it freed me up to walk more in joy. Because I didn't worry about circumstances anymore. People couldn't affect me the way they used to. And do you know, that became emotionally healthy for me. When you want to think about emotional health, just read 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. That's how I measure my emotional health. Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I self-sacrificing? Do I boast or do I let you have the credit? Do I need to be in the front or can I be in the back? But the biggest one is, I, don't, I mean, do I count with the wrongs that people do to me? Do I add them up? This person didn't call me. This person said this about me. Or do I let it go? And I'm telling you, when you let it go, bitterness doesn't get in your heart. Anger doesn't get in your heart. Those things erode your soul. Just thought I'd add that in there. Can you imagine having a forgiving heart? I mean, Jesus hung on the cross and said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And if, they had, if he hadn't hung on the cross, where would we be today? Then the seventh principle, it says, lead us not into temptation. This is something that we need to do in the morning. Don't wait. Don't wait till you get to work and you know that this person gets on your nerve and you don't have the spirit of patience with them or the spirit of kindness, you need to say, look, I, this person gets on my nerve, Lord. You know it. Please give me patience. Let me not fall short of your glory. And, and I'm just, it could be any circumstance. You know, when you teach your kids when they're dating, don't pray that God leads you out of temptation when you're in the car kissing the boy. Don't get in the car. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, lead us. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, lead us not into temptation. I don't want to confess too much stuff, all right? And then the last principle is, but deliver us from the evil one. Man. Deliver us from the evil one. These principles, that's self-explanatory. We know that Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy. As a matter of fact, I think Satan is so jealous and so hateful that God created human beings a little lower than the angels. Did you ever notice that when Satan rebelled against God and his angels, he created hell for them? There was no room for salvation. But when we fell, man, The choices that humans make, I think about it, think about it. There was one choice of disobedience, and then there was one choice of obedience. The one choice of disobedience was Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and sin came into the world. And sin is a disease. It's just not falling short of God's glory. It's a disease that leads to death, both spiritual and physical. Am I right? That one choice, but God's grace... By God's grace, the other choice was to send Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for us. And the great transformation, the great exchange of God taking on, Jesus taking on our sin and giving us his righteousness is an awesome thing to think about. And Satan is so jealous of that, that his only job is to make sure that he kills your testimony. He's the accuser of the brethren. There is nothing else to be said about that. And I want to conclude with this. 
the reason that I went back to the model uh, prayer, this, is, this pattern that Jesus taught his disciples, is because I want you and I to take it to the next level in our prayer life. And I think the results that you should meditate on is 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. Do you rejoice always? Do you pray continually? And no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, can you give thanks to God? That will be the measurement of your prayer life. John, will you come up? John's going to come up and close us out. I just want to pray. Let's stand. Let's pray, John. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the power of prayer. We thank you for this church that knows you by your name, Father. They know you intimately, Father. And I just pray that each one of us who's represented in this room will take our, le- our prayer life to the next level, Lord, where you will be the center of our prayers, where we will think about your glory, where we will think about your will being done on heaven as it is in earth, Father. Uh, we thank you that you even give us the right to ask for our needs, and we know that you will provide for our needs, Father. But I pray that you will take us to the next level, to where we will experience your presence continuously in our lives daily, walking with joy, Father, giving thanks whatever circumstances we are in. Bless your people, Father. We love them, and we pray, Father, that you will work in them and through them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.